This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Paul. And we're going to be talking about The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, a novel published, I think, in the 40s and written in the 20s. And it's not a novella, I guess they call it. I don't know where they get that number, but I, I think it's it's a very long work. It's a novel, sort of. It's a amazing story. And uh, probably not ever going to be published unless H.P. Lovecraft was suddenly rich and then uh, decided to cash in on his, I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you think he ever would have published this if he had lived longer? Well, well good question. I mean, he might have done, but it's, it's one of those with Lovecraft, there's an awful lot he wrote that he got dispirited with and just left in a drawer and... Mm-hmm. Um, well, they were published after his death, or in several cases, he'd sent them to friends, and he just go, "Oh, it's crap. <laughs> Leave it. I'm, I'm done with it." And his friends then submitted it to magazines on his behalf, well, mm-hmm. sort of be, almost behind his back, because they said, "No, this is good. This is good." So it's a hard, it's a hard one to call. I think if he'd if he'd lived longer and started to enjoy some success, I think he'd have probably definitely come back to this, because I mean, what was published is oh. essentially a first draft. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. It, it it feels like it could be polished in a couple of places just to smooth out, you know, the knowledge of the main character as the plot sort of unfolds. But, um, I mean, I'm if this is his first draft, you, you, you know, this guy is an amazing talent. And obviously we already knew that. But it's, ama- it's an amazing, fascinating, fun world. Uh... I heard people comparing it to uh, The Wizard of Oz. Um, I think this is, you know, if that's a uh, American fantasy classic, um, uh, it's an American fantasy classic sort of aimed at kids, whereas this is an American fantasy classic aimed at H.P. Lovecraft, basically, right? <laughs> if you love H.P. Lovecraft stuff, I mean, I think this is a really good, fun tour once you've read a lot of his material. I don't think it would be approachable unless, you know, this is not the place to start. No, you'd be completely lost. And and I hasten to add, it would be a, in many ways, a very uh, uncharacteristic place to start for Lovecraft's work. It's, I mean, I mean, lots of bad things happen to Carter on this trip, but it doesn't have that existential bleakness that you get in a lot of Lovecraft's work. No, it's very, uh, it's surprisingly... Um, I don't know, gentle. Uh, the the ghouls and the night gaunts and even Nyarlathotep, uh, they're you know they're they're kind of nice. You know <laughs> the cats are hungry, but you know they even make treaties with the Zoogs right after they destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, you know, it's not genocide, right? Well, it's a lot more adventurous. I mean, I mean. With Lovecraft, like with a lot of writers, there's um, a lot of stereotypes that get bandied around that are, are based on some misconceptions or a couple of elements of the most famous tales and then extended into nonsense. You know, oh, Lovecraft, his heroes, all they ever do is go mad and faint. Whereas mm-hmm. here, you've yeah. got a 
a real globetrotter, a man who marshals armies, who, <laughs> you know, has this epic adventure. I mean, you can't get a better adventurer than Randolph Carter. I mean, he's, no. I mean, he can hold a, you know, he makes Conan's messing about look strictly small potatoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but this is really epic stuff, and it's, you know, it's it's very easy to fall into that trap of kind of, Oh, Lovecraft, it's all gloom and cosmic horrors and people shrieking and somehow writing while going mad and fainting. Uh, whereas this really shows you an, another side to the man, you know, who was you know, in life. He, he wasn't this nutcase in an ap- attic sort of gibbering and paranoid and hating everything. He was, mm-hmm. he was a gregarious, you know, jolly man who was very gentle, had a, an enormous sense of fun, which you, you see that side of him in the poems he used to write. You know, he used to write mm-hmm. poems about Frank Belknap Long's cat for a laugh, you know, mm-hmm. which is completely at odds with the, you know, the doom prophet of cosmic existential horror. Uh, and you know, and this this is you know, this is tremendous fun to see him just sort of kicking back and writing something in, in an entirely different mode, but at the same time, giving you like a flip side and another view of his own mythology, and but coming at it from an entirely different angle, or or and trying to tie that mythology, it's in, into a I should say a coherent whole because well. Coherence is not something you can really deal with. It's mostly coherent, right? Well, well, I'm, t- I'm talking about the mythology as far as his, his mythology. I mean, by its very nature, it's not supposed to be something that man can comprehend. But here we get a we get more lucidity than you'd expect. We get mm-hmm. a better sense of where things fit together and how things are actually connected. Oh yeah, see, the the ghouls go into the coming to the green lines and here's my open depth here and here's the here's the plateau laying you saw that before it's almost like a tour of lovecraft mm-hmm. in in the same way i, I mean i i think of the fungi from yoga cycles you know visiting all of these lands and stories and places and situations that we've seen in 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 the straight up short stories mm-hmm. um this is the same thing except uh, I, I mean it doesn't go everywhere but it goes pretty much. Uh, I was surprised how many stories tied very directly into this. Um, at least, you know, if if you'd gone a, a little farther in south or north on the map, you know, um, the the one that struck me most, um, I guess it was fairly early on, when we, we hear three travelers had previously visited, uh, I don't know, the dreamlands and. Not gone mad. Not gone mad. Two had not gone mad and one stayed behind. So I was thinking, well, who are these guys, right? And I think Mr. Jim Moon can help us answer that <laughs> because I have a feeling he can. But one of them I think must be, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, must be the unnamed narrator of uh, a story called The Crawling Chaos, right? Uh, yes, and as I say, the... The one meta- you're explicitly told in the text is King Karain's, but the other right. one, mm-hmm. I th- I suspect, is the narrator of Hypnos. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's what I'm thinking too. Because um, you know he, the the, the telltale, the smoking cosmic gun in that is um, the Abazi the Wise um, in a different story, you know climbs the mountain of the gods and is pulled shrieking into the sky in a beam of light, which right. is what happens to. Um, the charismatic um, mentor in hypnos, mm-hmm. and there's uh, there's uh, that's also in the story of the other gods, right? 
Yes, yes. Mm. So we've got we've got uh, we've uh, we've answered a lot of questions just by looking at the other stories. I mean, I think this is exactly the key to the dream lens is to read the other stories and then say, "Huh, I kind of yeah. I kind of know that one." Yeah, and the priest from from the uh, other gods shows up here and gives uh, Carter the dream wine and yeah. new wine. Yep. Mm. And that's also that's that um that falling into the sky thing is in that story you just read for your podcast, Mister Jim Moon, um, the strange high house in the mist, right? The, the, yes, the, that's right. Yeah, it's right in there. And isn't there a night gaunt in there too? Uh, there's something that might be a night gaunt, but there's certainly no dens appears. The Lord of the Abyss, right? Um, so that that ties into it as well. And King Sports mentioned as part of is part of the landscape that makes up his fabulous dream city. Absolutely. Uh. I mean, I think this is what struck me when I on this rereading is just kind of how much world building Lovecraft does. I mean, everyone always says about Lovecraft's mythology. Oh, well, well, you know, it, it was largely invented by fans afterwards, and you mm-hmm. know, he didn't have a term, the Cthulhu mythos. He called it Yogg-Sothery, and that was just. But you know, here you do see him. He's actually picking up lots of ideas and characters and places from his earlier stories and weaving them all together in this. And, you know, it does, I think this is like a nexus point because it does tie together the sort of the dream fantasy, some of his sort of New England horror stories and his Cthulhu mythos work. And they all sort of meet and overlap here and you see how it actually all fits together. Mm-hmm. And of course, the statement of Randolph Carter is, you know, it's our introduction to Carter. Um, who it, it, I'm not sure the deep connections between that story and uh, this one, other than you know it's it, Carter sort of going off and trying to be compelled to be adventurous, um, but uh, there is a sense that 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 dreamland right mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that graveyard is in the dreamlands because it's there's no such graveyard that they can find right. Exactly, yes. and uh, Plus you have, you know, Lovecraft makes it explicit. There's, you know, you can get the dreamlands by dreaming, but you can always blunder into it as well. If you go deep enough into the earth, the ghoul tunnels link the mm-hmm. waking world and the dreamlands. And It makes me think that uh, that story is a lot less scary because the the way the ghouls are depicted in this story... They're, they're quite friendly. <laughs> you know, at the end um, of, of the statement of Randolph Carter, you know, he's really freaked out and the reader's really freaked out. You fool. Carter's dead. Oh, no. Uh, what, what's his name? Not Carter. Um, Warren is dead. Warren is Warren. dead. Well, Harley Warren is dead. Um, it, it made me think, oh, well, it's just like, dude, we're eating him. Leave, leave us alone. You know, it's, <laughs> It's not a big deal. Stop bothering our lunch. Um, he probably just had a heart attack walking down all those steps, you know. <laughs> Slipped and fell. It wasn't like uh, as horrible as all that. Well, so the, the Enchanted Wood um, touches the waking world as well. And mm-hmm. by implication, it's kind of the vaults of Zin and the realm of the Gugs underneath the, uh, yeah. um, the Enchanted Wood. They probably touch the waking world as well. And from what Warren says about the um, 
almost human legions of things he sees. Like that sounds very much like the horrors of the Dreamland Underworlds, the the things that the actual ghouls fear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the enchanted wood kind of reminds me of the wood at the beginning of the Divine Comedy. It's sort of like that border between mm-hmm. our world and the world that Dante winds up going down into the inferno. Mm-hmm. Here, it, here's the border between our world and the dreamlands that Carter explores. Wow, everything's connected. It's it's fun. Um, the there's another uh, story that I reread in prep for this. Uh, Cats of Ulthar, obviously Ulthar's. Uh, right near we, we i don't think we actually go to altar in this trip but uh somebody from altar turns up there's uh lots of cats from altar <laughs> right that save uh, save his bacon yeah yeah do uh, i love the cats there <laughs> so, it almost turns into like a i don't know like a <laughs> an anime style you know plot device suddenly the cats are all you know, getting ready for war and talking very much like people. <laughs> um, it's you know their treaties with the Zooks after the war, and it's it's uh, it's just hilarious. Uh, it's very whimsical in that respect, you know. And they do exactly the same thing uh, in this story as they do in the Cats of Altar. You know, they swarm on uh, some guy and they eat too much, <laughs> right? Um, it's, uh, I, I, when I first read, uh, the cats of Althar, I was like, I don't get this story. Is this supposed to be in ancient Egypt? And it kind of is, but it's also in the dreamlands, right? It's, it's not like it's, uh, disconnected. Uh, so I think this really unlocks a lot of how those sort of independent stories are all connected. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it kind of gives you a context for a lot of those sort of the only Dunsinanian sort of tales he wrote. And it's kind of, oh, right, <laughs> yes, you're kind of uh, uh, Polaris as well. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, um, it, you know, there is an explicit mention to the land of Lomar, mm-hmm. um, you know, being overrun by the hairy cannibal Nokefs, which is, you know, mm-hmm. what happens in Polaris. Uh I think it's really fun the way he does pull all these things together. And I mean, as a work of actual world building, he's he's several leaps ahead of where, uh, say, Clark Ashton Smith and Robert E. Howard were. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a more in-depth sort of world than uh, C.S. Lewis's sort of Narnia cycle. And I mean, this, I think this is a real forerunner to the kind of depth of world building that, you know, would come to a head, as it were, with Tolkien. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he was very influenced by Lord Dunsany's works, but I think he does take it a step further in the way that it's not just building a world, it's building a canon as well, because he's linking together all these disparate tales and they all, so you know, the threads tie up in the dreamlands. Uh, Paul, Paul, you're you're a gamer, so yep. you you've experienced many of these these sort of world building stories. You know, and I've stolen. I, I and frankly, I've I've stolen because while in my long running play by email game, I have a Dreamlands of my own, and yes, one one of the inspirations for that Dreamlands was uh, the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, because I do have creatures and places. I mean, you have people's regular dreams, and then you have places and peoples and all sorts of things that lurk in the dreamlands that are, are conflicting and 
connecting and doing all sorts of things with each other. And sometimes the characters wind up getting caught in those middle of those conflicts because we do get the sense here that there's all sorts of things going on that Carter just wanders into and past as as he wanders around. I mean, you have you have the slavers, you have you have the the conflict between the between the 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 cats and the zoogs and the, the the ghouls fight with the moon men and so there's stuff always going on in the dreamlands that Carter winds up first going past and and then finally uh, interacting with but yeah so I I've, I've borrowed I haven't borrowed many of the vistas per se because it's been a long while since I've actually read a reread or reread this. Um, now, now, now I'm curious. Well, I could take that city and stick it in mm-hmm. game. I could do that. Totally. That, that it's would work. Visual. I mean, surprisingly visual. Yep. There's, it, we sail past Silophaeus and uh, the white, the white ship. All the things that are in those other stories, you know, we sort of revisit briefly here. Yeah. So it's, it, it is very strikingly visual, you know, the landscape, everything, you know, there's a lot of mining going on, not a lot of harvesting. The, you know, I guess there's the moon wine, <laughs> but, the moon wine, but yeah, there's, it, but that, you know, it doesn't seem to be a major operation, right? But that, there's a hell of a lot of mining going on, lava gatherers and and oh, uh, Chalcedony <laughs> mines or whatever it is, right, right, because right, because Carter poses as one to try to get towards the uh, where the gods are, yeah. Mm. And uh, do we also have like uh, you know this is this this really has an antagonist right? There's a guy chasing after Carter. He's following him around. And yeah, then, it's Mr. Merchant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the and, same trick. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Nilothotep is trying to capture him. At yeah. Various cases. So there is actual is, tension here. He is. Nyarlathotep is not only you know the wizard you know in the Wizard of Oz. He's also sort of the, I don't know, it, the wicked witch in a way. Although, I, I, although by the end, he, by the end, it's not so harsh. But for a while, there's actual yeah, peril. Yeah. But it's like, what's going to happen if he gets his hands on Carter? Well, he, but he seems like he, it sounds like uh, up to the point we sort of meet him, right? The great and terrible. <laughs> um, he sounds kind of like, uh, you know, the guy who lives in Mordor. Right. Yeah. Doesn't he sort of? Isn't he sort of the witch king of Angmar, except a little more gaudy than? Uh, I mean, he sounds horrible. All that gnawing he's doing, and oh no, that's Azathoth. Yeah, it's Azathoth does the gnawing. So yeah, he's uh, he's more Soraman to the Azathoth something, right? I mean, he's a pretty he's a a crafty sort of I don't know an, yeah, entity. Yeah, really, yeah, antagonist though too. He's He's trying to prevent him from doing it, but a lot of people are sort of, you know, don't go up that mountain, right? Yeah, he, Car- I mean, the story is very much of Carter overcoming everyone's reluctance to to help him or get him to get where he wants to be. It's it's very much he's pushing against it, and he's, but he's very for all of his traveling, he's very passive until. Until we get the fight between uh, the ghouls and the moon men, that's when he actually becomes a real hero in organizing that defense when they that attack in defense of the city that they take from the moon men, that town. Then, then Carter really changes, I think, as a character from okay, I'm wandering around trying to get trying to get to where I want to go because I want to find my my sunset city, but 
Oh, I'm getting captured. Oh, crap. Oh, I've been free now. I'll, I'll keep running, run, run. Oh, these people will help me. But it's there at the when he's actually with with the uh, with the ghouls and fighting the movement. And you actually see him change to a more heroical. Like, okay, I'm going to help these ghouls because that's the right thing to do. And and then he asks them for help, but he helps them first. It's not it's not the other way around. He's like, okay, I'm going to help the ghouls and because because going back a little bit because because he sees those those ghouls he got captured and he can't just walk by anymore. He could have yeah. earlier in the story. He was just like, oh crap, they got captured. I'm going to have to keep going. He actually said, no, I have to tell the ghouls what happened and this has to be rectified. He actually has it- changed character at that point. If you were uh, rolling uh, rolling up this character, he's not a fighter, right? He's a, he's like he's got high charisma. <laughs> no, he, no, he's definitely a wizard because he. I mean, I mean, the amount of knowledge he has about the Dreamland scenes though yeah. vary a bit here and well, there. He's a, yeah, he, he, but he's he, an experienced dreamer. He's, so. he's an experienced dreamer. It's just, maybe maybe he's just yeah. having bad rolls on his uh, <laughs> on, on, on his yeah. on his recall. Yeah, it's like oh crap. Um, I see him actually. He's the closest hero of the more of modern age I'd compare him to is Indiana Jones in Raise the Lost Ark. Huh. Of that, you know, yeah. he's he's a, you know he's a man with an interest in history and uh, yeah, a yeah, traveler yeah. and a globetrotter, and he's you know as he you know he's searching for his his city, which is you know a kind of you know uh, an you know an ex, an explorer's adventure, shall we say, a geographically based kind of adventure, <laughs> right. and then he's drawn into a more you know. Uh, an action action adventure against the forces of evil as you know they are you know um interfering in his quest so that makes some um, uh the, the the protagonists of the hound uh, sort of the belloc <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <not> <laughs> they're evil museum they're they're doing it for the wrong reasons right <laughs> and are the hounds uh, are they ghouls uh, what is the hound right <laughs> is that connected here because it uh, a lot of the sort of uh, a lot of it sort of seems undercooked but it's so everything that's frightening in the in the you know brian alexander we we were talking to him paul uh i think it was you and i right yeah. recently and um he was saying that Lovecraft is a horror writer, but I mean, th- this is not a horror book at all. And the the more you look at sort of the stories that are quote unquote the horror stories, uh, especially looking at through at these eyes, they're more comedies than they are horror in a certain respect. You know, I I read them and I I become amused and entertained rather than uh, frightened. Um, I mean, yeah. It, it, go go ahead, go ahead, Jim. Well, I'm just thinking, like, um, you know, if you th- <laughs> what, what the ghoul? No, it's the night gaunts, right? So they sound scary, you know. They look like demons, but <laughs> they don't even have mouths, and the the major power that they have is tickling. Yeah, yeah. Car is so dismissive. What he's, he's built up as a problem, like ticking, like oh god, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Grandpa's come to put you to bed, and (laughs) you don't want to go to sleep, so he tickles you and keeps you pinned to the bed until you fall asleep. Yeah, I'm not sure Lovecraft was going for humor there, but that's the way it certainly comes across. Like, oh, yeah, they're they're nothing burger. I think he has a really wicked, dry sense of humor. Uh, I mean, I, I've read enough of his stuff that, you know, it's quite obvious when he he sometimes is very, very... Mm. He, you know, that's, you know, writing 
as you say, poems about, you know, a friend of his cats and making it sound all like uh, Eldritch. <laughs> He's sort of playing with the caricature of himself. Um, but, I, he, you know, he must know that <laughs> a monster that tickles you to death is not a real monster in a certain way. Um, well, the night guns were based on his own night on, on his own nightmares, right? Um, in which he, you know, these black winged th- things would pick him up, and they would sort of tickle him, but kind of, you know, more like it's more like a nerve pinch, you know what I mean? Of kind of, <laughs> uh, and when he put it down to you, he's always had these sort of these uncomfortable sort of you know squirming feelings as when they touched him, and you know he later you know, as an adult kind of rationalize this, they said, well, probably, you know, these were bad dreams brought on by indigestion, which is, mm. which is why, yeah. these, which is why the, night, the way of the night gods was to just uh, clutch and fly and tickle. <laughs> That's a great line in the book. The book says, it, it, there's a, I, I'm not hundred percent sure it's in the, the text of the book, but it's in one of the comic book adaptations. And it says, and I think it's a quote from uh, Dickens, a Christmas girl says, there's more of, gravy then of the grave about you (laughs) 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 that is exactly the sort of uh, isn't that line isn't there something almost exactly uh like that in isn't that what um uh scrooge says about one of the ghosts so he says with marley's ghost yes you yeah yeah he says you're you're just a bit of undigested beef or something um I, i think that it that also is kind of a dream quest now that I think about it. Um, the guy stays up too late, has a nightmare, uh, has a change of heart in the morning, and wants wants to have a sort of friendly Christmas. In fact, that that it, there's a nice connection to the. I don't know if you guys know are following it, but the H.P. Lovecraft, um, uh, not literary podcast, the uh, Historical Society do these audio dramas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're yeah. So their latest one, I I wasn't going to get it until I read a little bit more about what it was because I, I thought oh, it was just like Christmas music, like they sometimes do, you know, Yule Yule music, Yule, Yule letters music. or whatever. But actually, it's uh, it's called a Solstice Carol, and it's an adaptation of three Lovecraft stories uh, d- done by way of Dickens. Oh, so, that's a yeah, it's. Re- it is really fun. So I think it's a festival. Um, hmm. What are the other two? I can't remember now. But they're sort of. Th- oh, uh, one of them is actually related to this. It's uh, Pickman's model. Um, and there's a third one too. But it's three. You know, goes to Christmas present, uh, past, the, the future. The festival, Pickman's model, and the outsider. And the outsider, of course. Which also, I, I, re- I reread the end of that. I thought it had night gaunts in it, but it, it doesn't say night gaunts. It says, uh, I, r- I ride the night winds with the ghouls. Mm. Which, how do the ghouls ride the night winds? Aha! Uh-huh. We know that now, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. We're yeah, re- yes. Yeah. Revelation. Doesn't it, it? It all connects up. So that makes me think that, that um, in the same way that we meet Richard Upton Pickman in this, and he's been transformed into a ghoul um, in the same way that I guess the protagonist of the shadow over Innsmouth has been transformed and just hanging out with, or maybe it's genetic, you know, his family. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. Yeah, more likely. He's just hanging out with the ghouls too much. He's kind of a ghoulish guy and, and becomes a ghoul or maybe it's just in, the dream of Randolph Carter, but connecting Carter and Pickman, 
uh, puts us connect, this this story really is the nexus of all the other stories, right? It really there's very few that don't somehow connect to this grand tapestry. I think is there some is there something that just completely doesn't fit? I'm trying to think. This this is Jim's ball of wax. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's an awful lot that does just feed into it, either directly or indirectly. I mean. You can take something, say, like the the thing on the doorstep, and in that there's a reference to going down stairways in woods, and um, um, what's the narrator mm-hmm. in that one? Derby, you know, he tells his friend, he went down these, you should see what's down there. I saw a shoggoth in those pits. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, oh, well, there, there it goes again, back to Dream Quest. <laughs> yeah, and it ties, isn't there, isn't there a shoggoth in that poem that we both illustrated? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Oh, Night Gaunts, it's called, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, so there's uh, once you start tying, yeah, it, it, people say, oh, it's all um, August Derleth, you know, making up this mythos. I, I think he's just plotting it out and mapping it out um, more explicitly, but also, uh, you know, sort of um, not seeing the whimsical side of it and and trying to think about it maybe in a too much of a gamer style fashion, where you know, no offense. Yeah, no, you know what I mean. Like, I, yeah, I know in, what you mean. Yeah, more, in the uh, deities and demigods, they have to give, you know, they have to give the strength of Cthulhu, right? They can't just, well, you know, he can he can bench press two planets at the yeah, same time. Right? Yeah, yeah, but the, sort but, of that yeah, thing. I mean, and that, that put a number on it, right? But that got taken out of later editions of the deities and demigods. I still have the. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. the first, and that, it should be put back in because there's no reason to take it out now that we it, know that it's public domain yeah that was all bullshit yeah, it, 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 it was but yeah but they, they they took that out real fast they also they also were in that original and this is kind of off topic they also had uh elric moorcock stuff in there mm-hmm. yes and yeah. Mor- 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 moorcock didn't like that either so they took that out too well that you know that one's a little more legitimate that, that, that was that was more legitimate but yeah but it, the all the cthulhu stuff yeah i, I never bothered bothered with those as stats i mean no, but you know what I mean. Like, it's you sort start of, to quantify. Yeah, it's, if you start, you know, like when we're doing that a bit here, you know, so showing the connections. Obviously, you know, saying that the night gaunts are are mentioned in in the outsider, right. it, that's not true, right? But if you start rationalizing it, say, well, what does he mean when he says, "Now I fly on the night winds with the ghouls," um, you sort of sense, oh, well, it is sort of in the dream. In the dreamlands, and that these, what we would otherwise think of as a connection to our world, is is more connected to this internal Lovecraftian world, and and when we do, you know, when uh, you lay out the map, I've seen a couple, a few different maps, and they're not, you know, they don't all have Lomar in the exact same spot, right? I mean, it's not like Lovecraft made any drawings that we can go on, so. Any any sort of map is uh, going to be and having well, it's, is going to be yeah. idiosyncratic in some ways. It's like what you emphasize and what you think and how you, how yeah. you draw how you draw it. I mean, I draw maps myself, and I could draw I could take a map from say Tolkien from Middle Earth, and my Middle Earth would look similar to Tolkien's, but not quite the same, just because right. just just because of the lens, different lenses different people have. So yeah, yeah exactly. But, then, um, but now, I, now I, you think maybe we should make it to a map of the Dreamlands one day. 
Well, that's what I'm thinking. I've got one right here, and it, it is amazing. I, I think it is the best one. I, I saw, was it Jim Moon you said me, sent me on via Dropbox from a role-playing game? Yeah, this is that? from the Call of Cthulhu Dreamland Supplement. Um, oh, okay, in, that one. Yeah, uh, originally Sandy Peterson, he pitched um, the concept of a Lovecraft role-playing game to Chaosium mm-hmm. as being set in the Dreamlands. And they said, eh, it's a bit a bit too similar to other stuff, you know, and so you went away and developed, you know, a role-playing game more on the um, the real, the waking world horror stories of Lovecraft. Yep. But, um, I've, played, I've played and run that run that many times. In, in fact, I'm due to play some of that uh, this coming week as, as we record this podcast. So, <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff. Well, I'm looking, uh, I think this Jason Thompson one is just, a, I think it's real, I mean, I, 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 more I, look at his art the more i like his art and it, i think he's also developed his skill more because he's been working on it longer yeah longer and longer but this this map is wonderful and it has you know the sort of the western hemisphere and the eastern hemisphere um it doesn't say the west but it's on the left hand side and on the east it has you know the eastern desert and stuff like that and we see lang and all the you know Celepheus and ulthar is on here the enchanted wood so you can sort of everything that is mentioned in the book and there's a ton mentioned is sort of on this map but there's also things that are sort of you know the green meadow is on this map too and that's not in this story but on the other hand uh i'm looking at the gardens of yin right that you know is, is that mentioned in here i'm pretty sure it is right um or is it zin i can't it's remember the vaults of zin Vaults of Zen. Zen. Yeah. That must be a different part of the map. But um, the Gardens of Yin is is obviously a Dreamland sort of poem, and it's yeah, it's got the wall and the and the little door in it, and that leads mm. off to. Uh, and then so, th- it's all well and good to say you know this is this is what the map looks like, but then uh, how do they get to the moon on this map? <laughs> well, in between the western and the eastern hemispheres, at the bottom of the thing, it, there's the moon, right? And say, okay, you just drive off the, the basalt pillars of the West and go straight on until morning. Right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of the straight road, to use the Tolkien uh, phrase, All off the curvature of the Earth and uh, straight to Arda, or the moon in this case. Yeah, so uh, that, uh, th- that to me is sort of the epitome of this is Dreamland because the very first thing I start thinking of is, wait a second. How come the water hasn't all drained out, right? That dream logic <laughs> supplies an endless supply of water. Right? Well, what happened to the fish? Do they go off the edge and go into space? And that the gnawing, you know, like well, the, <laughs> once you start thinking, yeah. thinking about that way, yeah, we're definitely in dreamland. Well, right? the, the larvae of to... the other gods have to feed on something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that that just actually just brings me to a question or a point that I didn't pick up the last time I. I, I read this, but this time I did. There, there's there's questions at a couple points in this narrative about whose dreamlands this is. Is it just mm. Carter's, or is it something external to Carter? And he seems to go back and forth deciding how much of this is really his own personal dreamlands and how much is is a, a complete external hole that he's just accessing. And I I like it's a question that I, here goes with the undercooked first of uh, first drafting that. I would like him to explore that a little more. 
Mm-hmm. So how, how much how much is really his and how much because the the city is clearly his, but then the gods went to it. Like how did that work? The gods are external to him, but they went to Carter's own city. Like what? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of good. Uh, Selephas was dreamed up by Kuranes. Right. And yeah. That, there's, beca- that becomes part of the dreamland geography. Uh, so I get the impression that Carter's Sunset City, he feels it, it should be, you know, it should be somewhere in the dreamlands he's dreamed it up, but it's it's gone missing <laughs> because the gods are going, that's great, we'll have that. And they've, yes. <laughs> and they've absconded with it. And what's interesting, I find, is kind of at the end, you hear that you know, the gods of Earth have actually really just completely rescinded all their duties to just go and play in Carter City, leaving not just the dreamlands, but the waking world prey to the influence of the other gods, mm-hmm. <laughs> which gives yeah. you a kind of an interest. It's a, it's, a, it's a small couple of lines, but it gives you a whole like rationale for everything that happens in the likes of the Dunwich horror. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's because the, because the gods of Earth have, have gone off on playtime. Yeah. This is why the cosmic horrors are able to break through. <laughs> That reminds me. Okay, here I go with role playing again. The exalted role playing setting. The uh, the gods of the setting are addicted to what's called the games of divinity, and the which were created by their their predecessors whom they overthrew. And they're so busy doing this that yeah, creation's kind of creation. I to say Earth has kind of gone a bit to pot since they're all busy gambling and enjoying this and yeah, leaving leaving things to kind of be at the prey of the cosmic horrors at the edges of creation and the darkness within. And yeah, so I could, I, I could see they definitely st- stole a bit of that from, uh, from a uh, Kadath. I'm going to have to see in the book whether or not they reference it directly, but yeah. I want to read that. Uh, so I, I've been going through fungi from Yagath for a, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, as I find them in weird tales, I print them up and then, I take them to school and make my students uh, read them. <laughs> and then uh, we do little drawings. Um, and I did, one of the first ones I did was Homecoming, which is uh, uh, story five or scene five in, in the 36 cycle sonnet, uh, sonnet cycle of the fungi from Yagath, which I'm, I'm not sure why it's called that as a, I don't know, their growths maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first, the first four or the first three are a s- beginning of a story, right? Mm. Um, and it sort of describes our our experience of reading Lovecraft, is what I would say. And then uh, number four is recognition, and this is could be uh, maybe I'll read that one first. It could be like the sound. It sounds a little bit like when you are you know, going into the dreamlands because he, he, he's being chased as he carries the book. He starts, then I assume that the book is the key is in my, in my interpretation. Then it says recognition. Here's how it goes. The day had come again when as a child, I saw just once that hollow of old oaks gray with the ground mist that enfolds and chokes the slinking shapes with madness has defiled it was the same, an herbage rank and wild, clings round an altar whose carven sign invokes that nameless one to whom a thousand smokes rose, uh, eons gone from unclean towers uppiled. I saw the body spread on that dank stone and knew those things which feasted were not men. 
Ha ha. I knew this strange gray world was not my own, but Yagoth passed the starry voids, and then the body shrieked at me with dead cry, and all too late I knew it was I. <laughs> right, so... Then the next, the, the very next poem, uh, "Homecoming." It this sounds to me like we're we're sort of entering the dreamlands as well. The demon said that he would take me home to the pale and shadowy land I half recalled, as a high place of stair and terrace walled with marble balustrades that sky winds comb, while miles below a maze of dome on dome and tower on tower beside a sea lies sprawled. Once more, he told me, I would stand enthralled on those old heights and hear the far-off foam. All this he promised, and through sunset's gate he swept me past the lapping lakes of flame and red-gold thrones of gods without a name who shriek in fear at some impending fate. Then a black gulf with sea sounds in the night. Here was your home, he mocked, when you had sight. Oh, nice. Right, so we get this sense of, you know, he's he's a dead corpse, sort of, right? <laughs> um, but then the next one is lamp, right? And uh, well, you gotta have eyes again. So, it, it, and then you know we start getting uh, re- revisiting the landscape of in this sonnet uh, cycle. We start revisiting the landscape of of New England, but not real New England, right? Sort of Lovecraftian New England with. With Zaman's Hill, which, as far as I can tell, is not a real place, and the port, which is a visit to Arkham, right, and then uh, the courtyard, which is could be Innsmouth or Arkham. Uh, it's hard to say, and and it keeps going on like this until uh, some of them are, you know, yeah, it's Nyarlathotep and and night gaunts and azathoth right so it's it, it is kind of a revisit i think is there any that don't really f- sort of parallel this um oh i think it's really we think of yoga that is kind of it's like a whistle top your tour of lovecraftian themes and ideas and places and concepts and I think kind of Dream Quest is doing the same thing, but in a different way with a definite sort of dimension where all these things meet and a strong narrative. I mean, it's much debated whether Fungi from Europe has a narrative or not. Um, mm-hmm. I say it doesn't really doesn't have a story per se, but I think it's not just a three-poem introduction and then just some random verses. I think they are deliberately arranged. You go through different... Uh, like Carter does, you have the, there is a, series, a section kind of in the middle of the sonnet cycle where you get all the a clustering of the dark poems with Night Gaunts, Nyarlathotep, Azathoth, Saint Toads, uh, the Bells, and then you, but you also get the kind of these poems that are kind of very much echo the you know, the lighter, brighter um, kind of Dreamlands visitors, kind of the, the solar. <laughs> End of the Lovecraftian, uh, yeah, the garden spectrum. of the ants, yeah. very, mm-hmm. very friendly. And I throughout mean, Fungi, there's this, there's this theme of of, of uh, seeking after visions and gaining it to either terrible or great consequence. I mean, they have the window as well. Mm-hmm. Um, about you know, you open this portal window and he finds and rolls all the wild worlds of which his dreams are told. There's the sunset city of Hispira that you know. 
uh, this is you know beautiful beautiful city but but where no man has ever walked and mm-hmm. it, it, it's also um i think i think it's in one of the comic book adaptations and there's two really good ones um uh, I, I I wasn't as keen on uh, I I think it's I N G Colbard mm. is the um, I wasn't as keen at, on his art at first, but I think this one's a really it, it, very hard to adapt um, to comics. Um, it, it would be hard to adapt this to anything because there's almost no dialogue, right? It's tons and tons of description, and also lots of working knowledge of what Carter's knowledge is rather mm. than what he's, you know, processing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not a, you know, uh, he goes here and he does this. It's more like, and then, he, you know, he went in this direction. Right. Um, but there's, a, it's, the the other thing that I we haven't really mentioned, and it is in other, a lot of, especially the, uh, you know, Celepheus and uh, the White Ship, they are, this is a poem, as well, right? It, it's inc- incredibly obvious when you're listening to the audiobook that most of it is the word choice is very much for uh, assonance and alliterative uh, sound, oral effect. It, it, it is a very, is very oral and audio sort of uh, sort of book. I, I was struck that yeah, it was it was a pleasure to listen to this because it mm-hmm. almost was like he wrote it to be read out and I heard. Think that's right. I think that's right. In the same way that the the sonnets are meant to be read aloud, so you can appreciate them. Um, so, in in looking at the comics adaptations, they're very different. The two I've read are the Ing Colbard one, which is relatively short, um, but has some really. I, I was not as keen on his art as, but I, as I've been reading more of it, I I quite like it. And he's made uh, Carter look a lot like Lovecraft, mm. which doesn't hurt no. uh, because I think. I think, you know, most of the time when people put uh, uh, Lovecraft in his own stories, it doesn't hold up that well to me, uh, just because a lot of the times that it doesn't, it doesn't need to be him, right? It's, but whatever. Um, but in, uh, yeah, I don't think it's in this one. I think it's in the other one, the, the Jason Thompson one. Uh, there is a picture uh, showing, like, a corner of the map, and then this is, you know, v- sort of ex libris from uh, Lovecraft, but it's not just Lovecraft, it's also Dunsany, right? Mm-hmm. And also Poe, I think. Don't you think that it all sort of all goes back to Poe with his, uh, his Dreamlands poem? Uh, well, there's quite a few um, sort of Poe poems which feature these very similar kind of um, fantastical landscapes. Uh, uh, Ulalame as well. Of, uh, oh, sure. Um, Those, yeah, that can mm, totally be on the map here. Uh, but there's, um, all, there's also, like in Carter's sort of adventures, there's, there's more than, you know, there's definitely an echo of uh, the narrative of uh, Pym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, right yeah, on we, off that cliff. Yeah, we we did we did a SSF audio blog. I was just thinking about that. Like, A. Gordon Pym's adventures kind of uh, tie into this as well. <laughs> all the, all seeing towards unknown weird places that get stranger and stranger as he goes along. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm just going to read from Dreamland, the, the, the poll that I think is most tied into it. Um, it goes like this. By a route obscure and lonely, haunted by ill angels only, where an Eidolon named Night, that could be our Neural Athotep, right? On a black throne reigns upright. I have reached these lands, but newly from an ultimate dim Thule, from a wild, weird climb that lieth sublime, out of space, out of time. And that's the end of the first stanza. But um, I just love that line, out of space, out of time. I, I think Lovecraft has used that several times in several of his his uh, pieces and, and titles for stories as well. And what were, Concepts yeah, for stories. Yeah, the word of the dream is except a timeless place that's mm-hmm. not in our physical world. And you can't, get, you can't get there by walking, right? You have the – it's not in on the map and it's not in the past and it's not in the future. You have to go get to it another way, from an ultimate dim Thule. Bottomless veils and boundless floods and chasms and caves and titan woods with forms that no man can discover, for the tears that drip all overs. Mountains toppling evermore into seas without a shore, seas that restlessly aspire, surging into unto skies of fire, lakes that endlessly outspread their lone waters, lone and dead, their still waters still and chilly with the snows of the lolling lily. By the lakes that thus outspread their lone waters, lone and dead, their sad waters, sad and chilly, with the snows of the lolling lily. By the mountains near the river, murmuring lowly, murmuring ever. By the gray woods, by the swamp, where the toad and the newt encomp. By the dismal tarns and pools, where dwell the ghouls. By each spot the most unholy, in each nook most melancholy. There the traveler meets aghast, sheeted memories of the past. Shrouded forms that start and sigh as they pass the wanderer by. White-robed forms of friends long given in agony to earth and heaven. For their heart whose woes are legion, tis a peaceful, soothing region. For the spirit that walks in shadow, tis, oh, tis an Eldorado. But the traveler traveling through it may not dare it, dare not openly view it. Never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclosed. So wills its king who hath forbid the uplifting of the fringed lid. And thus the sad soul that here passes beholds it but through darkened glasses. By a root obscure and lonely, haunted by ill angels only, where an Eidolon named Night on a black throne reigns upright, I have wandered home but newly from this ultimate dim Thule. So I love that line where it says, never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclosed. Unclosed, yeah. Yeah, that that double negative, right? So it makes you think, and he's of course, you can't, you can't see the mysteries of the dreamland with your eyes unclosed. That is, with your eyes open. You have to, so his dreamland is a, a, a lot more amorphous in a certain sense. But it has that proto uh, or protean protean quality, uh, yeah, protean quality that seems you know this seems to our story, the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, is sort of an evolution of that uh, real dreamlands that is outlined right here with ghouls. I love that. Pretty much, it's almost like those little lines are almost the. The seed that took root in Lovecraft's mind, and <laughs> I mean, not all those, the, the, the all those places on the map that are just outside of uh, of the story proper, 
are mentioned, you know, um, in the gardens of Zin or Gin, um, there'll be, you know, a, a pool with lolling lilies, right? You know, so it's all there. It, it's so rich. And, and, and then tying El Dorado, which for so many people was a real place, right? That's mm. what drove them. Yeah. And yet you can't find it um, except in dreams. But it drives you. He, I think Poe has another, he does have another poem called El Dorado, which is the same thing. Sort of uh, Kurani's going off and dying to get to the dream world. What, isn't there a line in, in uh, Celepheus that has, um, has, it says something like, he was a he was a prodigious dreamer. So he's like a talented dreamer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's so sad because he's like, if I went around bragging to people, and I mean, I kind of do. I, I go on Twitter and I tweet my dreams, right? Well, so, but, so, so do I. I even, to, I even talk about it on podcasts. It's like. <laughs> but I mean, isn't that kind of pathetic? You go up to people and say, you know, uh, I might not have won any football games, but I can tell you this. I'm a prodigious dreamer. <laughs> it's so sad. Well, it's something that people get very jealous of. I mean, I've always had vivid dreams, and I know several mm. people say, I'm very jealous of you, you have these dreams. I don't never remember mine. And it's kind of. Yeah, well, I mean, it, know, is, it, is, it, is, it is funny. It is a mm, skill that you can mm, cultivate, right? Oh, yes. I mean, if you keep a dream diary, and it. I mean, this has been, you know, proven through decades of research. If you start keeping a dream diary, your dreams do get deeper and more vivid because mm-hmm. it's by the act of actually writing them down and recording them. It sends it, a message. Your subconscious it, goes, hey, he's interested in this stuff. We <laughs> we'll just junk that when he wakes up. We reified. Yeah. I mean, this is way off topic, but I, I mean, for a while, I haven't had one in a while. I had a cycle of dreams set in the same dream City, which was a version of New York City, but not the New York City I knew because the geography was wrong. It was the New York City of your youth. <laughs> no, 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 because Brooklyn was mostly islands, and the subways were all in the wrong places. But I, but it was all coherent, and I, and I knew whenever I was dreaming, it's just like, okay, I'm in that New York City again, and if I go here, this will be there, and this will be there, and it's not the same as the real place. But it was almost like I had a dreamland's. New York City of my own, which wasn't the dream, wasn't the real city that I could visit. But I haven't visited in such a long time, maybe because I moved out of New York, sadly. I've never been to New York, but one of my most vivid dreams that, you know, melancholy, wonderful dreams uh, was set in New York. I was swimming through the streets of New York. Well, we lost. You know, it was uh, either flooded from, uh, you know, global warming or something to that effect but i was swimming through the streets of new york and there was some sort of uh sea monster chasing me um and i noticed you could get into the buildings if you swum underwater into a window and i did i I, to escape this sea creature that was chasing me for however many days it was i swum under the under the water into a building and came up and inside the uh, somehow it was lit um, there was a bunch of, uh, I don't know, rafts floating around um, inside this building, and on top of them were tables. And I climbed up on top of the table, uh, sorry, on top of the raft, and, and looking on top of the table, they're all covered in comic books. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful comic books. And, and I was like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. And I, for some reason, thought that I didn't have much time. So my plan was 
to take the comic books away and read them later. But I could read the covers. But as you know, if you are a prodigious dreamer, as myself, it's very difficult to read books in dreams because you have to generate the the con- the text. Yeah, and the text is very fuzzy. Yeah, so it generally becomes garbled. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure if I was aware of uh, the fact that I was dreaming, but there was a lot of pressure to, to get a move on. And then I realized, though, to my horror, that there was no way of getting these comic books out of this inside floating place because I had no means of securing them without ruining them by the water. So, in essence, it was a nightmare. I, I, if I had brought, like, a Ziploc or something, I could have dove back <laughs> down into the water carrying these comic books. Some, oh my. But somebody, obviously, you know knowing that the apocalypse had come, wanted the comics to be safe from the waters. Um, but there was no way to save them. So the nightmare. Hashtag nightmare. Hashtag, hashtag <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a dream. It was actually a nightmare. Yeesh. So, yeah, the consistency. I think that this, you know, from one day to the next, my dreams are not completely as consistent as this is. But this is a hell of a lot more consistent than, uh, well, it's not as consistent as it could be. But it's not all dream logic, right? There is um, there, the places where it is sort of dream logic where Carter suddenly needs to know something or have a skill that he didn't have. Um, we can forgive because it's a first draft. Rather, is is that what we're doing? I, that's what that's what that's my consensus. The, uh, that Lovecraft really needs to rewrite this to make it to, to smooth out I, some of those problems. Yeah, but on the other hand, it sort of makes it feel a little bit more like dream logic too. That's that's true. It's like, oh yeah, suddenly I remember. Oh, oh yeah, I'm dreaming. He's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, duh. Like you forgot. That. I mean, I mean, for a long while, you, you can forget you're in a dream land. It's more like wandering through a weird fantasy landscape. But every so often, you finally, uh, if he, he he tags back to the, yeah, this is a this is a dream. Yeah, not, and not I'm a, close to waking at this point. He'll say or something like right. that, right? Mm. And yeah, these places that are more realistic, world. as it were, they're near the waking world. Right. right. There's a gradation between the waking. So when he, yeah, when he sails off the edge of the earth, that's him sort of really going deep, right? And at some points, he dreams while he's dreaming too, right? He he gets knocked out. Oh, he get he drinks too much uh, moon wine. Mm. Or get someone else to drink too much moon wine and then has that reversed on him. Uh, that that the, there is um, there's a great movie from the early '80s. What's that one? It's a nightmare uh, where they they have the power to go into people's dreams. I mean, I guess we've seen this in a bunch of movies since the '80s as well. But isn't there one where the Dennis Quaid is the uh, president? Dreamscape. Dreamscape. Dreamscape yes. Um, okay, so. Uh, that was kind of like the one I had last night is, is you know, we can connect up everyone's dreamland if we just get the internet of dreams working. See, the problem is, is we're all sort of on our own little planets writing our own little books. If we can just, you know, get the Ethernet cable <laughs> connected to the bed, <laughs> we can suddenly connect everybody up in, in the way that they do in Dreamscape, which is awesome and amazing, Where, right? Which, which, which brings you to uh, Inception. Exactly. Where people where you do have multiple people in the same dream creating that dream at the same time. Yeah, but but they're not they're they're all hooked up to one person, right? Yeah. As opposed to hooked up to sort of the internet of dreams, which is right. Which I would say is what is more like what is going on in this story, 
because I like how, you know, uh, Kirani's, he can't go back to the Earth uh, because he's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. But but he lives in, in the dreamland still. Right. So, you know, if suddenly somebody shook him really hard and he woke up, he, he, wouldn't, he yeah. wouldn't exist which, anymore. Which ties into the movie Waking Life, where the protagonist... Where the protagonist is going through dreams in that entire movie, and at one point he he listens on TV to this woman talking about dreams and death, and he talks to another dream character. I'm afraid I'm dead, and it's just like living in. He's dead in his dreams, and it's like mm-hmm. that's a that's there's a nightmare scenario for you. You're dead. Yes, you're in the dreams, so but you can't ever wake up. Yeah, I mean, Kirani seems okay with it, but it's like that. That's a that's kind of a, a your dreams become a prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's a really nice, I mean, for if, if this is, you know, wholly a first draft, the way he places Kirani's story sort of in the middle and has Kirani saying, you know, I, if I could trade it all, I would, would, I would not do this. Yeah. Right? And w- what's he trying to do instead of living in Celepheus and lording it over that city? He's like, no, I want to make it like the you know my childhood home and so he's trained he's got uh, i it's in one of the comic books uh the comic adaptations he's trained a bunch of uh of locals who look kind of vaguely english <laughs> to sort of act english but their accents aren't right and it's kind of oh yeah that's so sad i just i think this is it, the way he does that and he puts that in the middle when we get to the end um it's it's very very satisfying i think there is no place like home. It's a very Wizard of Oz, which again, totally which Oz. is again like the Wizard. Of, I mean, until you get to the later books, I mean, Wizard of Oz is basically a dream, at least in the fir- in the first book, first uh, movie. Anyway, yeah. I mean, later because it's a real place, but in that first one, yeah, it's just it's just Dorothy's dream, and it's it it's a pleasant and strange and phantasmagorical dream. And in the end, it is a dream, and there is no place like home. He can't stay in the dreamlands except for Shakiran. <laughs> and he keeps his heels three times, right? <laughs> no, because it's the three times dreaming, right? Right. The magic of three. The magic of three. Mm-hmm. But it also, yeah, I, I I keep coming back. One of the earliest podcasts I did on Lovecraft was the Crawling Chaos, which is not a well-known story um, by any means, right? It's pretty obscure it's because it's written by lovecraft with virginia jackson um but it starts with a guy who is being transported by the exotic drug i think it's probably morphine or something because he's 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 suffering from from a disease that's affecting everybody it says like the year of the plague or something like that, right? And then he, we sort of get a vision yeah. of him looking down at his own body. Oh, it's opium. It's it opium. I took opium mm. but once in the year of the plague when doctors sought to deaden the agonies they could not cure. Right. So it doesn't, you know, what what plague? It's it's not 1918 and he's got the flu. I don't think <laughs> some sort of plague. But I get the sense that, you know, he's De Quincey. It's connected to our world, right? And then we we get the sense he's suddenly in a building on a narrow point of land with two windows. And he's looking out at the land that's being eaten away at its edges. And I'm like, holy crap, that's his head. He's inside his own head. 
he's looking out the windows. He's looking down at his body that's being eaten away at the edges by the ocean that's the oncoming tide. And then he go he leaves his own head and walks into the dra- uh, the dreamland. And all these weird things happen that make no sense. Like uh, there's a tiger in the woods or something, and then uh, some alien child comes down and starts talking about Chalcedony and Cytherion. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell's going on here? The crawling chaos, the crawling chaos. Oh, Neuralathotep. Uh, and then he says, uh, the alien child or whatever it is, is, says to him, come child, you have heard the voices and all is well in Tilo beyond the Milky Way and the Arunurian streams, all cities of Amber and Chalcedony. And upon the domes of many facets glisten the images of strange and beautiful stars under ivory bridges of Tilo flow the liquid gold bearing ple- pleasure barges bound for blossomy Cytherion of the seven suns and in Tilo and Cytherion abide only youth and beauty and it goes on and on like what what the hell is this oh he's just in the dreamlands yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it <laughs> and then he sees even darker things down through the ether, I saw the accursed earth turning, ever turning with angry and tempestuous seas, gnawing at wild, desolate shores and dashing foam against the tottering towers of deserted cities. I love that imagery. Mm, it's mm. amazing imagery, and it, it it is another spot in the dreamlands. It's just a, uh, you know, just around the corner. You sail up that uh, channel, and you'll find it. So uh, this is a story I think I could totally revisit. Um, again and again, just because even you know, it seems like it's. I think it's very much inside baseball or whatever it, they say. You know, it is very much inside baseball. You, but you don't start here. But uh, once you're deep into the st- into the trenches, um, this is the place to come back to. This is the place where you can get those connections and have uh, have have all your uh, Lovecraft uh, stories and motifs and ideas and places and characters all meet. Yeah, and it's it's very gentle. I mean, it, 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 the horror of it is so minimal. It it is you know the ghouls are yeah, you, you totally want to hang out with them. Oh, and <laughs> you know it's not just him. Um, I know I, I was reading uh, that and I read it. I must it made oh. sense, but I, I guess I didn't notice it. But um, the Neil Gaiman book, the uh, graveyard book, has. As uh, the same kind of ghouls, right? Pretty much, yes, yeah, the same. Mm. I think uh, I think there's even a a um, head nod or something, tip of the hat to uh, some of the places in the Dreamlands, because the main character in that he he goes crawling with the ghouls, ghouls. He almost becomes a ghoul, and they're um, they're not wicked in the same way. Uh, you know, well, they're they're more wicked perhaps than they are in in here, but Neil Gaiman adds his own polish to it. Um, he says that in that book, uh, that the way ghouls get their names is by <laughs> after the first person they eat. Yes, that's right. Yes, <laughs> so, there's a guy is like um, the king of China or something, and the emperor of China, <laughs> because guess who he ate? Well, that's how you can get a boy named Sue. Oh well, it, it was making me think that maybe the, Randolph Carter—that's how he got his name. <laughs> he just spent a little bit too much. I know in the story he's starting to look like a ghoul, but 
an alternate theory is that he just got eaten by a ghoul, and and so he now has the memories of Miranda uh, of um, Pikmin. I'm sorry, Pikmin got eaten by a ghoul, and so that now that ghoul that is Pikmin got his name that way. It's a sort of retcon oh. explanation. No, no, but but, but, the, but yeah, but why 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 does Carter accept? The Pikmin ghoul as Pikmin, then rather than just as a ghoul who's named Pikmin. So no, I don't. I no, I, no, I think that's Pikmin. That's just no. Uh, yeah, it is Pikmin. It's just um, you you could alternatively get that. The the ghouls are just so. I think they're one of the standout fun characters as a group in this. The way they act and uh, as led by Richard Upton Pikmin. <laughs> and the cats. I love the way when they, they speak, they uh, they don't. Pikmin doesn't say anything. He meeps or glibbers it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he, he speaks cat to the cats, mm-hmm. and he speaks ghoul to the ghoul. And I don't, I don't think that night night gaunts can. They just had to tip their hat, <laughs> tip their head towards uh, the idea they like or whatever. Well, there's, there's a, with it, a pre- grotesque dumb show, I believe it says in <laughs> when they have their powwow and they're they're planning the the assault on Cadeth. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.